everybody. Welcome to the Busy Mom Podcast. My name is Heidi St. John, and I am here today with Dorinda Wilson, and we are, for the third episode in a row, uh, joined by my friend and, and Dorinda's friend. I keep saying my friend. That's so rude. Our friend. Our friend. Our friend. She's, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the look from her, like, really? Uh, there's enough sherry to go around. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so we are joined today by our friend Sherry Seligson. Sherry is the author of uh, Apologia's Marine Biology Curriculum, so that makes her a little bit of a brainiac. You think? So, yeah, I yeah. think so. We're, we're feeling just slightly intimidated over it's, it's here. A little, it's a little intimidating, yeah. but she's so friendly that you she can't is. really be intimidated because she's just smart and friendly, which is the perfect just combination. Love her. Yeah, and Dave, her husband, Aww. definitely does love her. She Aww. and Dave have four amazing kids who mm-hmm. I have been privileged to meet. And they homeschooled all their children all the way through high school in the beautiful state of Florida, which is, I think, a fantastic place to be a marine biologist. I agree. Right? Because you've got access to do. Now, tell me. Okay. Now, I I want you to to tell our listeners, Sherry, about uh, the opportunity that you had to work for Disney. Can you just real quickly Mm -hmm. sort of uh, make everybody hate you and tell them about what you got to do? <laughs> there were some negatives, but yeah, God was just so gracious. I um, before we had children, I worked at Walt Disney World at Epcot Center in their um, Living Seas Pavilion as an aquarist, and so my job was to collect, care for, um, and maintain the organisms that lived there. And it's a six million gallon aquarium with dolphins and sharks and about a hundred different species of ocean animals, and so. It was it was kind of cool. I mean, there were times we would be paid to go down to a little island and collect animals. I'd be paid to fish and dive. But I, the negatives, I mean, there, I had fish guts in my hair almost all the time. And I had, you know, blue <laughs> ink on my clothes. So, That's so, you know, so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it is, it's an interesting thing. I, I actually became a Christian when I was in college um, while I was taking a course titled Evolution. So wow. I was reading Darwin's Origin of Species at the same time I was reading my Bible for the first time. It, it was, and so it kind of launched me on this, um, on this, this, this desire to understand apologetics, why I believe what I believe. I knew the Bible was true. I knew God was present in my life, but I was trying to, to figure out how that worked with what man's ideas were. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it was, it, it was been a blessing to, approach science as I'm learning more and more about it from that vantage point and see God's hand in so many areas. Hmm. Well, uh, last time we, and we can talk about this for hours, I know, but I want to try to cram uh, uh, what we're talking about into about 15 minutes today. So we're going <laughs> to try, we're going to try really hard to cram whatever, how many, however many years of experience you have into 15 minutes. <laughs> and then we'll link back. Uh, so parents who are looking for, um, uh, really good articles and resources and that kind of thing for their kids can get access to them. But today I really want to focus on uh, the holes in evolutionary theory and the importance of teaching our kids about the fallacies of evolution before they learn about its supposed truth out in uh, the world and in the public school system. Something that's troubling me, I don't know if you've noticed this, Dorinda, but I'm sure Sherry has seen this, is the rise of evolution, uh, of theistic evolutionists. Mm-hmm. And we certainly saw, we've seen this in the homeschool community. And it troubles me because I think what it is, is uh, at least what I'm seeing is people who feel like they cannot trust the authority of scripture. Mm. 
or they've been, you know, they've been convinced by evolutionists that evolution is right, but they can't discard their belief in God. So they believe that there's a God, they believe in Jesus, they know that um, they believe he's died and was resurrected, but they can't get around the fact that they think evolution has a good case. What do you say, uh, Sherry, about uh, theistic evolution? Well, honestly, I think it diminishes God's power. I really do. I feel like it's just saying that God had to use a mechanism to create organisms, the mechanism of evolution that's mm. postulated. But, you know, it says that God spoke, and it was. Mm. And the power of that speaking, creating. Um, it, you know, it, they, most theistic evolutions, if you talk to them and, and just have a dialogue, they'll both say that he spoke and the Big Bang happened and boom, everything was there. Well, I'm like, you know what? I believe there is a Big Bang. God spoke and boom. The sun and the stars existed. Mm -hmm. God spoke, and boom, our planet. Boom, the animals. I believe it was as God's Word says. Mm -hmm. And when we say that, no, He said He spoke, and then, you know, tweak, there was a little tiny thing, which then became another little tiny thing, which then became another little tiny thing, and billions of years later, we finally had man. It just, when you think about it that way, it's diminishing His power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to begin to... Uh, poke holes in the evolutionary theory, and you're trying to teach your children about the authority of Scripture. The bottom line is, there's no shortcut to that, right? You got to, you've got to study it. You've got to know uh, about creation. You've got to know about evolution, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to be able to understand that stuff to point out facts to your children as they grow old enough to understand them. Where is a place right. for? Someone like me uh, or someone like Dorinda, you know, we've still got uh, young children at home and we're, you know, both of us are working. Uh, what are some, some, first of all, what are some ways that we can start doing that? And then also I'm wondering if you can just um, share uh, several examples of holes that are in the evolutionary theory that might stick in a mom's head as she's listening to this, or maybe she's uh, even taken notes and can go back and listen to this broadcast again later. Yeah, I think that, you know, the links that you'll include will be helpful. I mean, uh, Creation Ministries International, creation.com, um, it's great. Apology Educational Ministries has a lot of help in the curriculum, um, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. And so there's a lot of good material out there that we can we can just look through and read a blog here or there, understand. Um, World Magazine is another great one. They have a science section, um, and they talk about that, too, with apologetics. So there's a lot of good stuff out there um, for us to have information. but I would just encourage homeschool families to um, intentionally pick curricula that help with the apologetics behind it, especially if you don't feel equipped to do it yourself. Yes. Having some organization to come along beside you with that explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's Again, there's a lot of great people that have great materials out there. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of factual evidence that pokes holes in evolutionary theory. It, it really is, rather than just saying, well, I believe God saved it because God did. And I think that's accurate. That's right. Mm-hmm. But... When we understand evolutionary theory, we we can start talking about, well, here's a problem with it. Here's another problem with it. Mm-hmm. It gets redefined regularly because they mm-hmm. keep coming up with new discoveries mm-hmm. that poke holes in evolutionary theory. And so mm-hmm. they have to rename it, mm-hmm. redefine well, it. I find it fascinating so, that something that we that we call theory is, is being taught is as a being fact. Being taught as a fact. Yeah. Yes, yes. And again, a lot of this is it's a worldview. It mm-hmm. is indeed evolution. Why, why are they grasping for thread, people will say? Because if they don't, what do they have to believe? They have to believe that God exists. Right. Then they have to bow the knee. Right. And they don't want to do that. That's right. So it really is a, a heart issue, a world issue. And we need to mm-hmm. be ready to give an answer. So I, I'd love really to talk good. about a couple of different examples, just 
some random ideas or examples that just are so strongly against evolutionary theory. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Okay. Um, okay. Well, one is um, the lichen. Do you guys know what lichen is? Yeah, it grows on a the trees. Or grows on the trees, grows on the rocks. We hardly even look at it, notice it. We go gross when we see it. These guys are testimony to God's creation. And I'll give you the reason why. First of all, a lichen is not a single organism. It's two organisms living in a symbiotic relationship with each other. Now, you also know there's Finding Nemo, right? Yep, and, and right. <laughs> Nemo, yeah, the little, little movie, well, Nemo's little fish lives inside a sea at Emini, and they live together. That's a symbiotic relationship where two organisms live together and both, both get a good deal. So a clownfish lives in a sea anemone, stinging tentacles of the sea anemone don't bother the clownfish, so it's a place of protection for the clownfish. And then in return, the clownfish protects the sea anemone, so they both get a good deal out of it. <laughs> or a lichen is, it, it's, uh, everybody knows that example. So a lichen is made up of an alga and a fungus. You know, algae, plural, an alga, and a fungus. fungus. Okay. A fungus is kind of like a mushroom. Fungus, fungi have tough external protection. Um, and so if a, 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 like the fungus is able to provide protection from the elements, very hard external um, cells. And algae are like plants. They're able to photosynthesize. They're not a plant, but they're like a plant. They photosynthesize. They can produce their own food. When these guys live together, they can live in places that very few organisms can, which is why you'll find lichens growing on top of mountains where there's no trees. Wow. But the lichen provides protection. The alga provides food. And so they can like this little pod. They can live together anywhere. Now, the cool thing about this is when you explain how did this organism, how did this living situation get to this point, you had to have at one point, as, as an evolutionist, if you're an evolutionist, you had to imagine a free-living alga and a free-living fungus. So a free-living alga who could survive on its own, and a free-living fungus that had mechanisms to get its own food, living near each other, they mutate, which is the only process of change that evolution has. So they mutate so that all of a sudden the alga is unable to protect itself and the lichen is unable to feed itself at the same time in history, at the same place on the planet where they can find each other before they die to live into this, to get them living situation. And not only that, when they reproduce, they reproduce with a something called a diaspore. It's a little duplicate double egg, if you will, that has an alga, alga spore and a fungus spore that it goes together and creates this new alga and fungus in another location. So not only do they have to find each other at the same time in history, at the same point of the planet, and live together, they all of a sudden instantly have to be able to produce this self-propagating double spore. The odds of something like that happening are outrageously exponential. It, it cannot happen. So this is this is a, something called obligate symbiosis. These guys cannot survive without each other. So to be able to explain the fact that they are and they're living in all over the world, it just pokes massive holes in the theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. It cannot be explained mm-hmm. via the processes of evolution. So the next time you see a lichen growing on the side of a tree, say that is testimony to God's creation. That's <laughs> awesome. We have a lot of those around here. <laughs> yeah, we do. There you go. There you go. So that's one example. Uh, another one is has to do with the age of the Earth. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old the Earth is because from a scientific standpoint, we don't know. No one was there to measure or mark it. So from a scientist's point of view, no one knows the age of the Earth. But evolutionary theory has to postulate that the Earth is billions and billions of years old. Okay? So, so how do we know that? They're actually postulating that because they need that length of time to explain how organisms could evolve to the diversity that we see today. Mm-hmm. But when we study something, one particular thing, ocean salinity, the salinity, the saltiness of our oceans, we actually can figure out how old the Earth is based on that, or, or at least a general assumption. 
Um, the oceans that we have today, all oceans are getting saltier and saltier every year because the stuff that brings the salt into the ocean, like like rain and runoff and volcanic eruption and rivers flow, makes the ocean get salty. Not a lot of mechanisms exist to remove salts from the ocean. Once salts get in, they stay. So we're able to measure how much saltier the oceans are getting year after year. We can take that rate of saltiness and extrapolate backwards and figure out, well, how long did it take the oceans to get this salty from fresh water? Mm-hmm. And if we take just super, super general, generous assumptions, like let's say that the ocean started out as distilled water, which is very unlikely, but let's just say they had this pure H2O, it would take at most 65 million years for the oceans to get as salty as they are. Now, 65 million years sounds like a long time, but that's really short if we're talking about the process of evolution. And it's likely a much smaller number because water absorbs salts rapidly. I mean, even freshwater lakes have a salinity. They have saltiness to them. And so it's much it's a smaller number. But even if it were that number, then what we're saying is that the oceans are telling us that the Earth is nowhere close in age to be able to support the theory of evolution. Wow. So there's another one. The wow. oceans are testimony. And it's true, um, right, that the, the idea of millions of years didn't actually come from scientific fact, right? No, no. It came from having to accept there were millions of years because we, they needed that to explain <laughs> evolutionary process. Wow. That amazing. Evolutionary process has to be a slow, I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of, of you know, they, they rename it, we explain it, but you still have to have those billions of years to have the, the process happen from a single cell to what we see today. And it's just not there. It's mm-hmm. just the evidence is just not there. Mm-hmm. Even our dating technique technology that we have of rocks when we date rocks, when you get older than maybe forty million years, you can't. Or I'm sorry, forty thousand years. It's it's very irregular. It's very inaccurate. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence out there that points to a younger Earth than billions and billions of years. Wow. Um, All right, we've got about four minutes. Give me another one. Ah, okay. Super bacteria. Um, that people have used that as an example of evolution in action. If you look up on the internet, super bacteria, evolution in action, you'll get all kinds of um, uh, explanations of, yes, it is, yes, it is. But let me tell you about super bacteria. Super bacteria are able to withstand penicillins and other kinds of antibiotics that we're using. And so they say, well, they're super, they're super powered. But when you look at, scientists have finally been able to do the DNA, um, the whole genome of the super bacteria, and they've determined that they're super because there's a mutation in their genetic structure that prevents them from taking in material very well through their cell wall. And that mutation has been a benefit to them because that means they're not able to take in antibiotics. So they'll live, they'll survive. But that also means they're not able to take in food very well. So they don't survive as well. Even though they're able to survive, they're kind of weakened. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually a mutation. It's a negative thing that has happened. It's not evolution. Evolution is saying a mutation occurs to create more information, better information, and it's less information in this case. So it's mm-hmm. not super. It's a negative. It's backwards um, of fact, eugenics. It is. It actually yeah. is. And so it, ha- it happens to benefit them in this particular situation, those organisms, but it is definitely not evolution. It's less information, a weaker organism, a weaker strain of organisms. So it's not super. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have any time for any more, but I could we do, do one more. We do. Yeah, time? do one more. Okay. Go for it. Penguins. Let's talk about penguins. Everybody knows penguins are marine birds, right? They can't fly. Right. Most birds do fly. The reason why birds can fly is because they have hollow bones. 
collarbones provide structure, but that makes them light enough to fly. Well, penguins have solid, heavier bones. And that's helpful because, you know, if you imagine a penguin trying to swim underwater to get its food, if it had hollow bones, it'd be like swimming with a... Like, like a buoy. Around it, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. It would pop at the top. Yeah, so it'd be like me trying to, to swim <laughs> underwater. <laughs> <laughs> so they ha- and, and they're postulated as having evolved from flying birds. So in order to evolve from flying birds, they've had to change not only their wing structure and other things, but the very core of their body, their bones. They have to go from hollow-boned organisms to more solid bones. And evolution says it has to be a gradual change. So I want you to imagine with me a flying bird in a nest laying some eggs, and a bunch of eggs are going to hatch. Now, each evolutionary change has to be beneficial, each mutation, for that organism to keep it. That's what evolution is telling us. So imagine these offspring hatching of a flying bird, and one of them hatches with slightly heavier bones. How's that going to benefit him? He's, you know, to pass on the trait of heavier bones, he has to be able to survive, more like, be more likely to survive. He's in a nest with heavier bones. He's still a flying bird. So he's going to fledge out of that nest and splat on the ground, right? Right. Not going to be able to fly. <laughs> and so the process of from hollow bones to heavier bones is is very difficult to explain. It's not impossible to explain because it has to be gradual. You you can't have heavier bones and a flying bird. It's not going to fly. It's going to be eaten, or it won't make it out of the nest. Right. And that's the major problem with evolutionary theory: difficult to explain a transition between one type of organism to another using genetic mutation. And, and we see it not just with penguins. We see it all over creation. So it is, it is more evidence that evolutionary processes are incorrect. Wow. So really, I, I, I want to just I want to leave parents with this uh, thought as we um, kind of wrap up this series talking about creation and evolution. Is that the battle that we're fighting is really not uh, evolution versus creation? It's not old Earth versus young Earth or billions of years versus six age or six days. The real battle is the authority of God versus man's opinion. I mean, and this yeah. is this is the battle that's being fought uh, right now in the culture. This is what's being fought. Uh, uh, certainly, abortion is one of those things that same thing. It's man's wisdom versus what God says is right, and that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing even in the arguments for evolution. And so, it's thrilling for me to listen to uh, people like Sherry talk about the and because obviously she's had years and years to study this and um, and can come uh, to an audience with evidence and anecdotal evidence and evidence that she sees all over creation for uh, God's word in support and right. evidence of God's word. So mm-hmm. it's exciting to me. And I want parents to really understand that your responsibility as you raise children is to teach them about the fallacies of, of the evolutionary process before they learn about its supposed truth in the world. Because the truth, I thought what Dorinda said earlier was is right. Uh, the world teaches evolution as fact now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why mm-hmm. we've seen sort of the rise of theistic evolution in the culture. And uh, our kids are coming home and they're scratching in their heads and going, well, I don't, you know, but once we start, uh, once we, once we start saying, well, we don't believe that God's word is true about this, you may as well throw the whole thing out because it's either true or it isn't. And we read in Timothy, all of God's word is inspired, right? It is 100% true. And so Sherry, I really appreciate you coming on and encouraging uh, parents and children to study the actual evidence for themselves because uh, we don't need to be ashamed of the word of God. There is so much evidence to support uh, creation that it's astonishing. And it really is uh, wonderful to be able to uh, learn about. So thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad to be here. 
All right, you guys, we're going to remind you one more time. If you haven't uh, subscribed yet to the podcast, you can certainly do that over at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Nice. And more and more uh, people are doing that. It's Mm -hmm. fun to watch that grow. If you're on iTunes and that's how you prefer to download the podcast, we would love it if you get over there and leave a review for people uh, who are curious about the Busy Mom podcast. And if you have topics that you would like us to address we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, can they email you, Dorinda, with those yes. topic ideas? Yep. You can email Dorinda directly at Dorinda, D-U-R-E-N-D-A, at thebusymom.com. We're going to have Sherry come back one more time. We've got one more really important topic. I'd love to uh, have you guys listen in on us as we uh, take advantage of uh, our friend Sherry being here in studio <laughs> with us. And uh, we're looking forward to that. We'll see you back here next time at the Busy Mom Podcast. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.